All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome back to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and we put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is my law associate for today, <laughs> Rich Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is my law associate, my filmmaking compadre, and all-around great friend, Natasha Bogutsky. Yeah. And also Film Buff Online contributing editor. Yes, yes. And, and he's so. also editor-in-chief, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> wow, thanks. <laughs> we we're, ha- we're starting already. We, we've been off for a little bit, and we're starting like this already. <laughs> we may have been off from the Big Picture podcast, but, man, have we been busy. Holy smokes, yeah. Congratulations on your award oh, for thank- Best Screenplay. Thank you. Yes, um, to fill in details here uh last weekend at the route 22 filmworks film festival in bethlehem pennsylvania which was a day-long celebration of short film um a short film that i had written called the test won best screenplay overall out of like 30 some shorts which was a very high honor now we need to also say that Natasha here directed the short. <laughs> she starred in it, and um, oh along with a couple of other people. Yes. And it overall was very well received. And honestly, when we were working on getting this ready to shoot, you kind of were really adamant about me rewriting one scene over and over again. Yes. The argument scene in the middle of the, the picture. There were graphs involved. <laughs> and you made it better. So really, you know, I feel like this award, at least in part, belongs to you as well. I, 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 I mean, it's going to hang here on the wall. Uh, but, yeah, well, yeah. It, but you're not getting the actual plaque. But <laughs> I've had, I've had, I helped with one scene. I think that's that's a scene that's very crucial. It's the linchpin, not just because it kind of falls in the middle of the picture and segues us from you know the first act to the second act, but it's the linchpin of the whole story. And what we were trying to do when I, we first talked about this idea, which is, you know, examining these two characters in this moment. Okay, okay. So, I will accept the honor as well. Thank you very much, You Rich. are most welcome. But yeah, no, we've been busy. We've been filming. We've been promoting. Uh, we have been traveling all over for. The place. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I know it's been a little longer since last May when we've last done one of these. But it feels like May. Yeah. We've been off that long. Uh, longer, actually. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you all coming back. Um, but it feels like towards the end of May when I got in the car to head out to the Block Island Film Fest, where we were also showing the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like I didn't get out of the car again until like the middle of August, almost. We were just constantly on the road. It was a great summer. Got a lot of things done. You know, some of the things were like hanging out with family, which is something I don't do enough. And I think given the passing of my mom earlier, you know, in January, it's something I'm like, I should probably maybe be doing this a little bit more. I've always kind of been the standoffish one out of my brothers. Uh, But, you know, so I was able to take my one older brother, his wife, and their youngest daughter, who's 15, 
to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny two weeks before it opened at a critic screening, which were, which was fun. That loved. you know. It, yeah, because you got cool points for it. Well, yeah, I mean, I've always done like stuff with my nephews and nieces about, you know, taking them to movies like at Christmas time. They knew the weekend after Christmas that they were visiting grandma and grandpa. Uncle Rich was showing up, throwing everybody in the car. and We were going to see the Lord of the Rings films and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's nice to be kind of back doing that again as a little bit. You know, most of my nephews, um, Anne Marie, my niece. The 15-year-old, she is the youngest out of all of my nephews and nieces. The oldest is in his 30s. You know, I have three older brothers, one younger brother, widespread of kids that they all have. And so it's been a while since I got to play cool uncle and not just like, oh, my nephew and niece. You know, I could now relate to them on an adult level, which is an entirely different kind of a relationship. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of nice to have that one last fling of being the cool uncle who shows up and says, hey, let's go do this. You know, <laughs> I just realized that our podcasting schedule pretty much falls in with like school schedules. <laughs> We tend to take the summer off. That's true. <laughs> and the That's holidays true. off. Hey, when are the biggest movie going times ever? The summer and the holidays. Let's take them off. We're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, well, that's also because, you know, we are so involved with so many things. You have, um, you know, theater stuff that you've been doing, you know, these last several months that has been wonderful. Um you know, like you said, we've been shooting stuff. We've been running around repping ourselves a little mm-hmm. bit here and there. Um, but, but it's it's nice to be back spending a Sunday lolling around my apartment <laughs> in the living room, <laughs> and watching a movie, and then going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but before we get to our, uh, our retro review, which is a back-to-school-themed retro review, uh, um, and also kind of fits in with this summer... Um, what else has been going on with the uh, film world uh, that <laughs> that you want to comment on really quickly? Um, well, obviously there's a double headed strike going on. That's right. Um, by the way, did you see what the uh, the Writers Guild of America was doing yesterday on the picket line? No, I'm. Well. There was a massive D and D game going on. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I have suspicions as to who probably organized that. <laughs> um, there's certain certain. I, I man, we've been so busy, you know, and that is one of the reasons why I have never gotten back into D and D since like high school or early college years. Mm-hmm. I love the game. I love playing it, but you know, again, it's 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 a huge time suck. Yeah, Which it's on is, and off for me. It's as not well. a criticism. It's you know, it's just a fact for me, especially when you know I, I was uh, DMing, and I miss it. I sometimes will watch YouTube videos about like what's going on in like the D and D world now, mm-hmm. not like the fantasy world, but like the world of gaming itself. Yeah, like there was that hubbub over the open gaming license a little while back. Things like that. And, you know, so I try to kind of keep up as to what's sort of going on. But I'm, unless I were to win Mega Millions next week and, you know, have half a billion dollars handed to me, I won't have the time to really get back to <laughs> D&D, unfortunately, I don't think. Um, and I miss it a little bit. It was a lot of fun. A lot of good times, especially in high school with my uh, high school crew sitting around on the picnic table behind on the on the back porch at my friend Frank Chadwick's house playing D&D. 
Well, my my unfortunate issue with D&D, as much as I love it, is that every time I've ever tried to get friends together, yes, there's okay, so there's two issues. One, <laughs> you you book like six people for a campaign. Next thing you know, three of them drop out and now you're down to like you know, two people, maybe the dungeon master. <laughs> like it uh, that's not a campaign. Ooh. That's that's a disaster waiting to happen. It, it's either that or this is the worst one. You don't get a chance to get together all that often. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be spending all night trying to create my character and then us not be able to get together again for another six months to a year <laughs> to actually start playing the game, at which point I don't fucking remember what I created. Yeah. yeah. I, well, <laughs> well, during, well, during the uh, pandemic, didn't um, you, your husband, and the, your two stepsons have like a family night for D&D for we, a little bit? We did for, uh, yeah, about three or four months. And then it died as soon as lockdown was over so so basically you're saying in order to have a successful D campaign people have to be forced into s- prison uh, <laughs> maybe, prison probably has better D games go. than we do I was, I was just gonna say maybe the folks whoever owns D now i think it's hasbro bought out wizards of the coast who bought out tsr hobbies um Whoever owns Dungeons and Dragons now, you got to be marketing it to prisoners because they got nothing but time to play. Yeah, but it can get really violent. Yeah, <laughs> they may what? not. They may not be able to uh, sh- tell fantasy from reality. I at that shiv point. this red dragon <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, so this started. This started off discussing the strike, and now here we are talking about shiving in the shower. Oh, yeah. We haven't missed a beat since we were gone. No. Uh, (laughs) We just fell right back into it. Right back into our own silliness. Anyways, but yes, we are both very much in simpatico with the writers and the Actors Guild on this strike. Mm -hmm. Everything they are asking for is absolutely reasonable. And I think the problem here is the overall giant guild that they're you know, bargaining with the AMPTP is made up of so many different fractions, different fractions of businesses. You have television, you have movies, you have streaming, and they all have different business models at this point. And it's hard to see how all three of those types of businesses are collectively bargaining because sometimes what's good for the one isn't good for the other two. And I'm thinking that, in part, might be the problem with these negotiations. Not that I'm excusing them. I also think there's a large factor with like somebody like Apple, whose overall income isn't reliant on Apple TV Plus, and they're just like, well, we can hang out for you know, hold out for however long we want, because that's a minimal income stream for us. Whereas, you know, we have everything else. It's the same sort of with Amazon, yeah. too. But, you know, somebody like, um, well, like A24, for example. No, we just do movies. And, well, okay, bad example because A24 isn't part of AMPTP. And, and secondly, neon, yeah. yeah, and they actually came forward and said, yes, we will abide by your um, 
by what you want, and they've got an interim agreement to keep making movies. So I think Neon just did theirs this week in order so that mm-hmm. uh, actors could promote the Neon um, projects at Venice Film Festival. True. Because um, Adam Driver spoke out against a lot of the larger studios not being able to give SAG what they were looking for, but a little yeah, studio was... like Neon mm-hmm. was able to. Yeah, he spoke out at Telluride uh, the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, that's right, Telluride. So I think, yeah, obviously, I mean, back in the spring when the strikes were starting to loom on the horizon, I pretty much said, yeah, there's going to be at least a Writers Guild strike, maybe a SAG. I was surprised, actually, that Directors Guild kind of sucked right up to some bad terms and signed a deal but big deal uh <laughs> the directors can work but there's nobody for them to direct or to write something to direct <laughs> or anything else so i think the directors kind of shot themselves in the foot unfortunately um if all three guilds had gone out together this would have been over by now maybe i don't know but um i see this going at least a couple of more weeks if not into late into the fall and that's going to affect all sorts of things it's going to affect all the film festivals coming up venice toronto new york mm-hmm. thinking you know <laughs> thinking locally for myself it's probably going to affect who shows up for um the philadelphia film festival and some of their showcase films to promote it's going i don't expect anyone showing up for philly unfortunately Mm -hmm. at this point outside of like some of the smaller indie stuff yeah um which i think would actually be good for them i mean they'll get more uh, Mm um more people pay attention to them i i see new york comic-con taking a significant hit this year in terms of uh media programming and you know like last year where you had the guys from Muppet Mayhem. You got um, Dan Harmon promoting Crepopolis, which Fox kept delaying until it's finally airing next month. It was supposed to air like start airing like last March, February, somewhere in there. Um, I think maybe even they saw the strike coming up and said, you know, maybe we should hold this off, and so we have at least some programming for the fall. Um. Has the programming for New York Comic Con been released yet? Autograph guests has. They have not announced the panel schedule. That's usually about two weeks out. So we've got a month or so before we hear that. Um, yeah, and the fall schedule's already taken a beating. Most shows won't be back. Um, I know, and this is because I'm a fan, the Quantum Leap reboot, the second season of that, will be back with some episodes because they started uh, shooting their second season in February. They, you know, they started shooting then. So I don't know how many episodes they have ready to go, but there'll at least be a few episodes there. So I don't know if people just gravitate and that's a really good thing and helps their their ratings or if people are just like, well, I didn't know because I thought everything was not happening and then no one watches it. It's it's kind of like a weird thing where I can't decide one or the other is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully it's the former because I like the show and I'd like it to stick around for a few years so I could enjoy it some more. But we'll see. We've already started seeing some shows getting canceled. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in part because of the strike. Well, they pretty much said that um, uh, League of Their Own, 
second season, which was already shortened down to like four episodes or something stupid, it was canceled because of the strike. Yeah. They were just like, well, by the time we finish the strike and by the time we can get everybody back together, the show won't be out until like 2025. And I'm like, people will still want to watch it when it eventually shows up. How long are the waits between Outlander seasons? How long are the waits between... About a year. How long are the waits between... Uh, Stranger Things, for goodness sakes. Oh, yeah. So, but, yeah, uh, if you have final... a fandom, they will still show up. Final season of Stranger Things, though, uh, was shot, I believe, back-to-back with season four. And I, I, I may be wrong on that, so don't quote mm-hmm. me on it. Um, but that would make sense as to why, you know... But, yeah. No, I get what you're saying, but I'm sorry. Just... <sighs> People will wait for Stranger Things. People won't wait for a league of their own. They'll forget about it and move on. I think it has a I think anybody's core fandom show will they'll wait and go, oh, cool. But there is a different level of core fandom. There is like cult I, I core would, fandom. I would say cult core moderate, fandom for Stranger Things is probably much bigger than it's for not League cult. of Their Own. It's not cult. It's eh. fucking mainstream. It's one of the big hitters. It's like uh, I'm not runs. saying cult. I'm just saying core. Oh, yeah. So. So what I'm yeah. saying is that there are different levels. And I think mm-hmm. the League of Their Own, uh, the following on that may be a lot smaller. So Amazon is like, yeah, we can chop this and we're not going to lose too much in revenue because, well, in truth, we didn't get much back to, from it to begin with. True. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so, just the fact that. So they that- can just take a, la- a tax loss on it. It's the fact that they said, well, tax taking a tax loss on a series in in order to, you know, avoid paying people residuals is a shitty thing. And I would say that, um, you know, they said, well, you know, we'll give you four episodes to wrap up everything from season one in a season two. You know, is is at least acknowledging that some people were watching it. It probably wasn't a huge money loss if or. Maybe it wasn't a big money earner for them or, you know, whatever their metric was, which is another thing. In the strike, we'd have to see these metrics to see how these decisions are made. Um, and, and no one wants to show them. Yeah. Everybody wants to hold them real close to their vest. And that's um, just not workable. But we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, I know that you were bummed about How I Met Your Father. Yeah, that was another one that I don't know if that was strike related so much. Um, but, you know, it might have just been a, you know, viewership thing. Um, but I was enjoying the show. I think the second season was, you know, improving on what they did good in the first season. I still have a couple of uh, small qualms about it, mostly being. In the original How I Met Your Mother series, there was a lot of flash forwards and hints as to what was coming and things like that in that kind of rambling way that you tell a story to a friend. And you'll be like, da-da-da-da-da, and oh, and then there was the the pineapple. Oh, wait, no, the pineapple happens later. Hold on. And you know how you do that, just mm-hmm. casually telling a story? Yeah. That's the feel that the original series had, and I don't think uh, How I Met Your Father quite captured that vibe. It was still, you know... The overall flashback framework was working, but it lacked the that nuance that the original series had. Mm. But I, I enjoyed it; made me laugh. I, I was bummed about season three. After season three of The Great, they've decided to go ahead and cancel that as well. 
uh, over at Hulu. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I kind of understand it. I I sort of see it coming. And I think the writers did a great job of trying to – they didn't wrap up the story completely. But they made it feel like this was the ending of part of her story. And there is so much more to come, but we just won't be able to witness it. Mm-hmm. It was just like this chapter of the book is closed. Yes. But the story lives on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I like those kind of endings. That I don't mind them. For example, this is how I'm going to transition to this. Uh, um, Rebels, the Star Wars animated series, ends on a note where one character kind of disappears off into legend. He makes a sacrifice to save his friends, and that's great. I think that's a great character arc ending point, and it's really wonderful. And so, of course, that becomes like the let's reverse this and bring him back moment in in Ahsoka. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying Ahsoka for the most part. I think it's a little slow, but the fact that they want to reverse this whole idea and bring, you know, this character back, actually these two characters back, um, is alienating for people who never watched Rebels, like yourself. And I watched the first episode of Ahsoka and half of the second episode, and I said, I'm out. And I, uh, you know, I'm sad by that because, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm at least enjoying it, but I can't blame you either. You know, I've, you know, watched all the Star Wars animated stuff going through, but like you said when we were talking about it before, it feels like homework, you know, if you're just getting to it now. And I don't think, as much as I like what Dave Filoni mostly does with Star Wars, I think here it's a mistake because it's kind of reliant too much on stuff that's kind of on the fringes of canon that not as many people have seen as, I mean, okay, Look at the number of people who have seen the Star Wars movies. Smaller number who have seen live-action Star Wars. And then there's an even smaller number who have seen the animated stuff. You know, that's 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 like the, um, the niche of the niche there. And to kind of have bigger things depending on intricate knowledge of that smaller stuff is not good storytelling in my opinion. It, it, it's annoying the crap out of me because I consider myself a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. I would not consider myself a die hard, uh, like a diehard Star Wars fan. Like I not read the novels. I have not watched Clone Wars. I have not watched Rebels. I'm sorry. There's just so much out there in terms of you know product to absorb, mm-hmm. like shows and films. I'm not going to give all of my energy just to my nerd core. I want to be <laughs> able to experience other things outside that and that's fair to be more well-rounded mm-hmm. and so yeah i come into this i've watched everything of mandalorian that has come out i um and book of boba fett i didn't watch book of boba fett oh, okay i only saw the first couple episodes and i went i'm out <laughs> um i i stayed around for obi-wan i loved obi-wan mm-hmm. i watched the first episode of andor I know that is the best of all of them, but right now I'm so fucking burned out on Star Wars. I can't do it. I can't do it. So I got really excited about Ahsoka. I did. I I know roughly the general storyline, 
of of her and Anakin and the Clone Wars. I didn't realize how much of an impact she played into Rebels. Um, but I, I know who she is. I got excited to to see her story come to life. And Rosario Dawson's fun. Yeah. And then the first episode of Ahsoka dropped. And I got into it. And they're talking about shit that I have no fucking clue what is going on. Multiple times. And they're introducing characters like you're supposed to know who they are. Exactly. I mean, I, I know who Thrawn is. I know who Ezra is. Basically, I, I I have ideas of who these people are. Mm-hmm. Now, now, did you realize in the first episode they recreate in live action like the final scene from Rebels? No, I don't even know what the final scene of Rebels was. Okay, the final scene in Rebels was a coda. Rebels takes place like the three to four years to one year before um, the first Star Wars movie. And... Then, like, the very last two minutes kind of jumps forward in time to after the war is over. And that's when Ahsoka shows up and um, Sabine Wren is looking at that painting, that cave painting that has been taken off of a cave and put into that room. And then they get into the, the ship to fly off to go find Ezra. Because that was kind of how Rebels ended with this promise that they were going to go try to find Ezra after the war ended. Yeah, no, I did and, not know that. Yeah, and, and so they recreate, you see? But they, and I'm sure everybody who watched Rebels and enjoyed Rebels was like, oh my gosh, the scene! And I was kind of like, oh, they're recreating that, that's good. I'm glad I rewatched Rebels this previous weekend, uh, you know, the last episode of Rebels this previous weekend so I can recognize it, because it's been a hot minute since it came out, and <laughs> But I don't want to go back and rewatch all of that mm-hmm. in order to understand this. I, I was hoping that this was going to be its own separate thing, obviously linked mm-hmm. to some of the stuff that went on. But I don't want it to be a fucking continuation story. <laughs> True. It And it is. It's As people have said, it's Rebel Season 5. And there's ways you can use some of the the lesser known Star Wars canon in ways that kind of enrich the movies without um, without mandating that you enjoy this lesser canon stuff. Okay. Um, the character of Snap Wexley in the sequel trilogy. Oh, I love Snap. Yeah. Yeah. Great character. Mm-hmm. I wanted you, more of him. Well... Good for you. You can find out all about his uh, growing up years in uh, Chuck Wendig's um, Star Wars Aftermath trilogy. The first three books that came out in the new Yeah, I'm not reading those books. Okay. (laughs) Then you're not going to get it. But it's there if you want it. And everything in those books does not necessarily predicate anything you need to know. To see him in the movies and enjoy him in the movies. Exactly. My point. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be so, you know. Insular? Yes. Yeah. That's, I don't know. But, and I think that's a problem. I mean, yeah. Okay. Dave Filoni loves Ahsoka. You want to talk about hitting a core member of fans or a core group of mm-hmm. fans with the right material. Star Wars is getting to that point. But they're going to lose the casual viewers who just kind of pop in and out. Yeah. A casual viewer can pop in and watch Rogue One. 
and, and love and know, it and know what it's all you know and doesn't need to know everything else but ahsoka i think you know it's very it's very dependent on on knowing rebels and i mean it does try to give some exposition dumps in the first couple of episodes you get to the space whale things in episode three but i knew by that point you at least had checked out so you know in terms of storytelling it failed for you and I understand that, and I can't blame you, actually. And I am I am a big uh, proponent of watch the first four episodes of any show before you check out. Do that, because that's when the story really gets moving. Mm-hmm. But that is... I, I... But when they throw you in the deep end on mythology and stuff like that, right at the beginning, without throwing you a lifesaver, so to speak... <laughs> It works. the The idea of the four episodes things work if it's a new story, because that's when you've gone ahead and you've introduced your main characters, your supporting characters, and now the actual story mm-hmm. is progressing to its ultimate goal. That doesn't work if it's. You need to have all that backstory. If the first episode of Ahsoka feels like episode six of <laughs> some of Rebels, yeah. you know, it, it's definitely it definitely builds on stuff uh, separate. And yeah, and I can see where that's an issue, you know, and even, you know, I, I had to turn to my husband midway through and I went, wait, what the hell happened? What did they talk about? Space whales and Ezra? What? What the hell happened? And he goes, oh, yeah, this and this and with Ron and and then they were taken out to a deepest part of space. And I, I'm staring at him like he had just turned into a banta. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, I was like, what? And I, and people will say, oh, there's explainer videos on YouTube. And it's, you don't, you Why should... the fuck do I have again, to go back to again, them? Again, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're nice if you want to, but <laughs> the, to require somebody to do that, I think, is poor storytelling. I got, you want to do I Rebel this... Season 5, do Rebel Season 5. Don't call it something else and then and market it as something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got into this fight with people over, of all things, Mel Gibson's Last Temptation of Christ. Because I felt that that Mel movie... Mel Gibson? That wasn't Mel Gibson. Yeah, it was. Last Temptation of Christ? Or not Last Temptation, Mark, but no, Mel Gibson's... Um, Passion? Passion of the Christ. Yeah, excuse me. Um, but I got into that because the the movie only dealt with... Christ's uh, Last Supper and uh, Suffering on the Cross. It doesn't give you the the basis as to, you know, what his teachings were and why this happened and why it had to happen. There's a whole, you know, school of things that have to happen to help make that sacrifice understandable in context. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do it. It was just... You know the misery porn of him being nailed onto a onto a cross, and I and you know so many people are like, oh, this is so great. I'm like, no, it's not, because you don't have it within the within the piece of art itself. You don't have that context, and they're like, oh, everybody knows. I'm like, shouldn't have to walk into. You should not have to walk into a movie with prior knowledge of certain things to understand the movie. It. it which is it can that can be a flexible law, and especially in terms of things like Marvel movies now, or the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, how they had an overall story arc, and maybe if you kind of 
or just just hadn't seen any of them and decided to show up for No Time to Die, you might be wondering who a bunch of people were outside of, well, that's not Okay, I know Q, I know M, and who are all these other people? Who the hell's Madeline? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so it, that can be a kind of a f- flexible rule, but he, in terms of Ahsoka, and honestly, I've had this conversation about uh, the Marvels as well, coming up in November. Yeah, because people... I never finished Miss Marvel. Okay. Yeah, and some people are coming, I saw, they dropped the new trailer on Thursday, I think it was. That showed little clips from WandaVision, how Monica Rambo got her powers. They show a little couple of clips from Miss Marvel showing how she got her powers. And then, you know, a little couple of clips from the first Captain Marvel movie. And then, you know, kind of weaved it all together. So, you know, and I was like, oh, that's great. That they're brings trying it, to, that They're brings trying it. to show it, yeah. I saw somebody complaining online saying, oh, they just gave us a reading list. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They gave you the cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Spark notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you don't need any – you don't need to go back and watch any of this. If you just watch this two-minute trailer, you've got it. Yeah. You absolutely have character relationships between Monica and Carol. You have everybody, how everybody got their powers. And you got a nice little – quick little tidbit of, of um, how Kamala and her family interact. That's all you need. That's really all you need on this. And I was just like, dude, you're stupid. <laughs> I, mean, I just couldn't believe it, you know, that they're like a reading list. I mean, there are times when that's a valid criticism, i.e. Ah- Ahsoka, but not for that one, I don't think. No, <laughs> not, not with no. that kind of thing. Anyway, speaking of required reading lists, it's back to school time. Oh. How's that for a segue? Oh. <laughs> um, um. So we wanted to do for a retro review this week a uh, back to school movie, and you picked a movie that, in hindsight, after you picked it, I realized it kind of pairs well with uh, Barbie from this summer. I didn't pick this movie. You picked. This well, you movie. suggested it, and then no, I, I did not. Did? You did. Did I? I suggested I'm Mona sorry. Lisa Smile. Oh, that's right. Um, okay, yeah, I suggested. I guess Legally Blonde then. And then in hindsight, I'm realizing it's it fits up with Barbie in a nice way, I think, uh, <laughs> I thematically. Agree. Thematically and color theory-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of pink. Um, so, yes, we're talking about Legally Blonde. Now, you surprised me earlier this morning when uh, you came over and I was just finishing my rewatch of it. And you said you had avoided this movie up until last year. Uh, about so, six months ago. So about six I, months no, ago. No, not even. Three months ago because okay. I went for a run afterwards. I remember. Okay. So so why? Why were you avoiding this movie? And how, and what was what changed you to wanting to check out the movie? And then what were your first impressions from three months ago? Okay. So I think I think some of the the look of the film is one of the things that made me avoid it so long. You know, the the blonde and pink. I'd seen the trailers as a kid. Um, I saw more trailers for Red, White, and Blonde than I did for this one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, her showing up to the Supreme Court dressed like Jackie O for some reason was a huge fucking turnoff. I was like, yeah, this is not for me (laughs) at all. (laughs) And then there was a musical. And every time someone did the musical, I was just like, 
good for you. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's just not for me. But I, what changed all that? I don't know. I think I think with um, I think we're heading. When did this come out? Two thousand three. Two thousand three or four. Okay, so I think since we're heading towards an, like a twentieth anniversary on this, um, I also with the uh, renaissance of Y two K films being discovered by like the edge of Gen Z into Gen Alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is, oh, is that what we're calling after Gen Z, Gen Alpha? Yeah. I did not know that until just now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit, at some point I was wondering, at some point I have wondered, we're going to run out of letters, aren't we? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we're, so we're going Greek. Yes, okay. we're going to Generation Alpha now. Which is like sororities, which are mentioned in Legally Blonde, so back oh to Legally Blonde. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> there is a renaissance of... Y2K films being discovered. Um, Sex and the City is a big hit again. Uh, Legally Blonde is coming back around. People are discovering Mean Girls mm-hmm. and and all of those Wh- big films from Y2K again. Um, and so my TikTok was getting flooded. My um, my Facebook was getting flooded. Prime Video was sending out little clips of things here and there. Uh, it shows up in fucking Wednesday as a horror movie for Wednesday. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, and I finally went, you know what? I'm just going to cave. I need something to just throw on in the background that I was sitting home the one day by myself. And I'm like, I want some like girl energy. I I, I want to feel like I'm, I'm a girly girl. <laughs> but something I hadn't seen again, just something I could throw on. So I threw on Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I wish people could see the smile <laughs> creeping across your face. And it was one of those what is what is this? what is this? Oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I think I called you after I got done with the mm-hmm. first one. I went it like amped me. I went for a run afterwards and I was I, I was feeling so damn good. And I came back and I'm like, that thing cooked. It was like an hour and a half. It did not even feel like an hour and a half. I felt like I was sitting there for not even an hour. You know, with with apologies and no puns intended about the uh, the accused murder murder murderer in this movie being a um, exercise instructor or anything else that they talk about about in terms of um, uh, body shapes and stuff. There's not an ounce of fat on this movie. There's not. It, it's there's nothing you would trip. Absolutely nothing that you say. No, it's well, all that doesn't serve the characters or the stories. It's tight. It's boom, super good. And uh, and then I came back and I was like, you know what? What the hell? Threw in red, white, and blonde as well, and I knocked that out. So I knocked out both legally blonde films like within like four hours. It was great. <laughs> and. Honest, I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. And I hated myself for avoiding it for so long because of my own um, prejudice, I guess. Against ditzy blondes? See? Yes. Now, now, so so you I, are basically admit, yes. the theme of the movie I was, made incarnate. I was. <laughs> okay. But it didn't help that those well, first trailers that I saw – didn't do anything to subvert that idea. Mm-hmm. 
it completely backed it 100%. They just played, oh, look, ditzy blonde goes to law school. Womp, Pretty much, womp. yeah. There, okay. there, there was what? no meat in okay. there that made you feel like... I can't remember any of the trailers from when they came out originally. I can't remember any of the real marketing about this movie. Um, but, but, but I have to wonder, <laughs> did they bother to use what what I think is the single best best line not the funniest line not you know awesome line but i think it's the best line in the movie because it sums it up thematically it's on that first day of class with thematically thematically (laughs) Uh, sums it up very well thematically with uh that first day in holland taylor's class as the professor and she says basically you will sharply question what you know yeah i don't think that was in there that should have been in those trailers then maybe to kind of hint at this movie might look like one thing, but it's definitely going to be the other. And that's, like I said, that's the theme of this whole movie. Yeah. And I mean, I remember when I saw Red, White, and Blonde, it was all about goofiness. And yeah, she goes to the Supreme Court, dresses a pink Jackie O, and then there's obviously Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, you look like the 4th of July. It makes me want a hot dog really bad. And I was like... <laughs> Yep, nope, checking out. Like it, it was it felt very like mm-hmm. let's celebrate the I'm I hate I'm gonna say this. The stupid blonde going to stand up for a ridiculous idea in front of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. See, I unfortunate but, well, for you know, I don't wanna say unfortunately, but I had been planning on rewatching this last night along with Legally Blonde Two. And Friends were in from out of town. We wound up – I thought, oh, two hours for dinner should be enough. Four hours later, we're stumbling out of the restaurant. So, you know, so I didn't have a chance to rewatch the Whenever second one. Whenever Gadavascus is in town, yes. I expect that. <laughs> I expect that That's it's true. not going to be That's, two well, hours. Yes. It's going to be like six. That's William Gadavascus, who is our comic book editor here at Film Buff Online, who is starting a new series of um, – uh, Reviews called We Saw It on Streaming about weird movies that only show up on streaming because they never got a theatrical release. So and, that's most movies nowadays? No. No, this <laughs> is like some older stuff. Um, it's uh, first one scheduled to start um, to go live this coming Friday. And then I think we're going to go every two weeks with that. I know one of the movies he has coming up is New York Ninja. Which has a very interesting production history, which I'll save for you to read. But he did tell me at one point there is a ninja fighting bad guys while he's on roller skates. And I'm just like, well, I need to see this movie. (laughs) You just sold me, baby. But anyways, back to Legally Blonde. (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird tangent. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we're back. We're back as podcasters. It's our it's our weird tangent shows. What did you think? Okay, I hadn't seen it in a very long time, probably about fifteen years. Um, so a lot of it was very fresh to me, and I really liked it. And again, I think you know, I I find it does play pretty well with um with Barbie from this past summer. In that you know, it definitely addresses the don't judge somebody on their looks. Especially if those looks happen to be, you know, blonde and big tits or boobs, excuse me, as, you know, I'm trying to quote Elle herself in Legally Blonde. And um, 
they find they have their own native intelligence that might not work the way the rest of us work with our intelligence, but it gets there and it shows that that different unique point of view is just as valuable. If in the courtroom scene, and uh, at this point, I think I'm going to get into a, a bit of a spoiler here for the ending of the movie. So if you haven't seen Legally Blonde, uh, hit pause, go find it. It's on um, Amazon. I don't know where yeah, it is because I watched it, could, it on and that could, Plex. Okay. And that could change uh, <laughs> rapidly. But go find it, watch it, and come back. Are you done? Okay, welcome back. And um, I don't think a man – yeah, I'll say it. I don't think a man would have recognized the perm uh, clue during the um, the questioning scene in the trial. No. That – I okay, I did – and, that, and that's because, well, I used to date, you know, somebody who worked in a salon. And, you know, so I, you know, you know, when you date somebody who works in an area that you don't, you just kind of pick up stuff. And somewhere along the lines, I probably picked that thing up about perms. I'm not saying that in the early 90s, I may have had one or two. Um, I, <laughs> you've I, seen the pictures, so. I've had two perms in my life. Mm-hmm. One was for... Um, a role actually uh so i do know the rules about perms and so i i actually did kind of clue in on to that and i was like wait hang on and then i watched her head pop up and then you you can see a sharp turn in Ellen that final yeah that's it's a great moment she goes from feeling very awkward and out of her depth for the first half of that mm-hmm. to, oh, you just fed me a piece you, of information. You just walked I, in the door of my building, my house. <laughs> and you and are. I am going to take you down. Mm-hmm. And you watch her shoulders pop back and her chin go up in the air. Oh, it's a great physical transformation. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what's great is that the prosecutor here who is should be on the side of this witness it is also female and she didn't know it she didn't recognize it until l has to spell it out in her in her questioning mm-hmm. and i think that also speaks to the idea of again judging on appearances that even the prosecutor was like a, didn't think to ask the question of what were you doing all day? Oh, you went and got a perm and then you came home and took a shower? Or B, um, the prosecutor was in a rush. So they're, you know, just to Either that or make... she had never had a perm before. She may not understand That's true. the, uh, the mm-hmm. rules that go yeah, behind it. And I understand it would be kind of sexist for me to say, well, she's a girl. She should know that anyways. But, you know. Uh... She lived through the 90s. Yeah, she, yeah, this movie takes place, you <laughs> know, 80s, after the 90s. She lived, she lived through the 80s and the 90s. She, pr- Even if she had never had a perm herself, she, might have she had, probably would have had friends who knew that. There's two embarrassing photos in her high school yearbooks of her in a bad perm. Everybody in the 80s had that just about. <laughs> this is the hair decade for a reason. Uh. But, um, but, yeah, so it's a great moment. And, you know, that's almost a punch in the air kind of like, yeah moment because and you're suddenly realizing you know because it's it's a a triumph for her 
it's the thematic payoff of the movie. This script is so good. Mm. The it's tight. It's a tight script. Yeah. Yeah. And um the the only thing I don't like, and this is a minor quibble, her two friends and undergrad mm-hmm. are a little too cartoony in yeah. terms of like the whole sorority sister thing and they're like, Oh, I'm getting you know? Um They don't get any better in the second one. Oh good. <sighs> but and, and yet, um, you know, she plays Elle as just almost to that border of cartoony ditzy, but still has an actual emotional core, an emotional life to the character. So it never becomes, oh, she's just a clown character who suddenly, you know, yeah. makes a, um, you know, gets lucky <laughs> with 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 uh how the film ends in the climax it's no she's smart um she just hasn't been challenged in this particular way and and she's never met a challenge she couldn't yeah yeah and ultimately you know but she probably because you know probably people were giving her a pass because of her looks some of those challenges were probably easier to navigate because people are just like, oh, hey, hi, cutie. Yeah, okay, we'll do this for you. As opposed to, you know, if she showed up 85 more pounds on her and dark hair, and it would probably be a lot harder for, you know, her to meet those obstacles. Selma Blair. Yeah. Minus the weight. Yeah, minus the weight. Yeah, Selma Blair, I think um, she doesn't – she that could have been a very one-note character as well. Yeah. And as, you know – the ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend slash fiance, the one who got the ring. Um, and I think uh, how that character actually has a bit of a journey as to they become friends, then she overhears something, and then she feels the remorse about misinterpreting it and goes to help is really great. I've been watching a lot of 80s movies for the other podcast show that I do mm-hmm. on Monday nights called Generation Movie. Plug, plug. And 80s Movie villains, comedy movie villains are always kind of one note. They're just complete douchebags all the way through, and then they get their comeuppance at the end. Uh, And things like, you know, like Weird Science or Real Genius, stuff like that. So to see a character who's kind of like, there's not a whole lot of real villains in this movie. There's some antagonists. Um, But to see that character kind of have that growth a little bit of a backslide, and then ultimate kind of a redemption for that, you know, that character is very refreshing as well. Indeed. I really, really loved uh, what she was doing here. Shout out to Victor Garber. He, <laughs> I, I always love Victor Garber in anything that uh, I see him in. And, you know, in. And in he will CW's, always be Mr. Andrews to me. He'll be Mr. Andrews to you. For me, he's always going to be Professor Stein, um, one half of Firestorm on the CW's DC TV shows. And Firestorm was one of my favorite comics growing up. So, And I thought he was like just absolutely wonderful as Professor Stein. Uh, <laughs> so, even, even in the films where he's absolutely just kind of crappy, like uh, First Wives Club. Ooh, I, I don't think I've seen that since it came out. It's Yikes. Really good. That's another one that's that's starting to be reevaluated by the younger generation. Um yeah, like any sort of like female 
centric uh empowerment film of the late 90s y2k mm -hmm. era all coming back around all of them that's good that's good because i think it's um it, in this day and age where we do have them but it's, again barbie <laughs> yes but i i think a lot of them don't approach it in a more i want to say uh a I kind of want to say like a mature way. Mm -hmm. um, so like looking at, say, First Wives Club, you get to see the older generation trying to f go through that epiphany of their life as a woman and what did it mean? What did it all mean up till now? We were told if we did all of this right, we'd get what we wanted in the end. I got nothing in the end. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what what was the point? And I think we're starting to see a lot of um a lot of people going back to that because there was a an energy to those films. It was happy go lucky, but also at the exact same time that it looked at it from um maybe a more subtle way. Maybe yeah, not mature. They, I think subtle is the word I'm looking for. They were very critical of uh pa patriarchy and I think in terms of overall civil rights, especially, and hate to get political, sorry. Um, no, I don't hate to get political about this. Um, in light of um, the repeal of Roe v. Wade, I think that's reunited a lot of anger towards patri patriarchal uh, constructs, and rightfully so. And I think, um, you know, that's going to ignite an interest in, oh, these other movies that kind of talked about this before. And did they affect change in society or not? But if not, you know, we're still going to see them and we're, they still speak to us and they still speak to our viewpoint of as women mm -hmm. um, or as hopefully allies in the same way Barbie did. You yeah. know, honestly, well, the I, I think the people who got the most upset about Barbie were, you know um, – People who, who have always been upset about women's rights and women's issues and somehow thinking that if women have an equal place at the table, it diminishes men somehow. And it's stupid and wrong. With Barbie, the way I see it is it's not the first to do a story like this, but they told it in such a a, a very outright and forthwith way. Mm-hmm. They weren't leaving anything on the table. True. They were just coming straight out and saying, no, this is what we deal with. The mm -hmm. the monologue that America Ferreira does in that, which is absolutely incredible, mm -hmm. um, might be one of the greatest female monologues I think I've ever heard in my life. And it's been I shit I've been saying for fucking years and no one <laughs> listens, but. Thank you, Greta Gerwig. Someone will listen to you. Um, I, I think the way that they do that is they're like, no, we're not going to hide anymore. We're not going to play behind the subtlety. We're going to just come right out and be blunt and tell you what the fuck is going on and <laughs> and the issues that we deal with instead of just trying to hide them behind a pretty smile and a tight skirt. Mm -hmm. um, now, I do kind of like how some of those older films address that with the subtlety because it allows you to really kind of, for me it allows me to step into their shoes instead of just 
tuning out what they're saying. Let me feel what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Whereas Barbie was a case of we'll add the moments where you can feel. And then we're going to add the moments where you're just going to shut up and fucking listen. Mm -hmm. And And that's why I think it might be the best of these is because it molds the two together. Would you say that we couldn't have gotten to Barbie? Oh, well, let me rephrase that. Without would, Legally Blonde, Would no. you say Legally Blonde walked so Barbie could run? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I know that even in the music alone, Watch Me Shine and Perfect Day, which are, are the two kind of standout songs in this film. Perfect mm-hmm. Day bookends the beginning and the end of this movie, where we see Elle in this and, in different and, states in her life. Hold on. Yeah, I, I'm making that, that a she's parallel feeling here. is perfect. Yeah. Uh, and in the beginning, it's all about dolling herself up for a man who she thinks is going to propose to her. That is considered to be her perfect day at the end, at the beginning of the film. And I'm like, please, 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 please don't let me go through what I think this film is. Let it surprise me. Let it change me. And then by the end of the film, the idea of her perfect day is standing at the podium giving a speech to the graduating class of Harvard Law students. Mm -hmm. That is a perfect day to her. And I love seeing that switch. But in the middle of it, you want to talk about a switch, it's the moment she realizes she went to Harvard for the wrong reason. And watch me shine clues in as she walks out of a Halloween party dressed like a Playboy bunny and immediately goes and buys a Mac laptop and goes to the library. And we see this montage of her just working her ass off Mm -hmm. while everyone else around her is just like either playing it cool or is just sees her and is dumbfounded by what the fuck happened to her. Mm hmm. And it's it's a case of, okay, who is really going to surprise here? That that determination, that willingness to to finally say, you know what? Fuck what's on the outside. I'm going to nurture the inside and I'm going to go after and get what I want. And I think because of that, I think this film is always going to be there for women, for young girls who are going through transitions in their life and they're looking to feel some semblance of being strong. And I think that is a perfect place to uh, to wrap this up for today. Uh, if you haven't seen Legally Blonde in a while and you're looking to see it, it is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu, and it looks like YouTube TV. Voodoo, Redbox, so it's around. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes and Google Play, so either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there. Search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. And first of all, thanks for coming back, folks. We're looking forward to um, a great new season of shows, and we will be back next time with something exciting. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast.